Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. Welcome to the Hoop Collective. It's the start of the third week of the NBA season. How many weeks left? Somebody tell me. Is it ending soon? I don't think it is. It's still October. Jesus, it's still October. Um, we've got from Oklahoma City joining us our Thunder beat writer and my my brand new commiserator in Cleveland Browns fandom is Royce Young. Royce, I don't I don't know why I signed up for this, Brian. I don't know why. I've been a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan for like eight months, and I feel like I've experienced the whole history of the <laughs> franchise in that period of time. Um, I will say um, I have high hopes for Baker Mayfield. And when I say high hopes, I'm you know thinking like six, nine, and one. So it could be worse <laughs> than that. Um, could be worse than that. Be, be a banner year. Joining us in San Antonio is a former NFL beat writer, former Bears beat writer, if I'm not mistaken. Michael C. Wright. Do you still watch the NFL, Michael? Absolutely, I watch it, man. And I've been keeping a close eye on Baker Mayfield. They're going to get that guy killed. <laughs> I know. It's sad. It's sad. Um, Royce's hopes are I, – I, it's, sort of, um, it's sort of funny. It's sort of like watching a child, like uh, – you know, try to walk and wobble and fall as I watch Royce be briefly uplifted, thinking that the Browns had turned the corner only to reality to crash back down on him. Yep. And um, it's, it's, it's performance art, the, the Cleveland Browns. Um, so we have our first firing. October isn't even over yet, guys. Here I was going to talk about the Thunder's rough start. I was going to talk about DeMar DeRozan and what he's doing with the Spurs and We'll get to that. But first off, we have a coaching change in Cleveland. Six games into the season, Ty Lu gets fired. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys on one hand, I'm surprised it took this long because his relationship with Kobe Altman had grown toxic. Uh, it was one of the worst kept secrets in the league that um, those two guys were not on the same page. But what, what, I'm, what I find difficult is to even understand – what page they were supposed to be on. That's we'll talk about in a minute. But I just wanted to get your guys' opinion. When you saw that this went down yesterday, what was the first thing you guys thought? I was surprised, 100%. But, um, you know, I, I think that that comes within the context of this, that, you know, you've got, you've got the coach that won the first title in franchise history. You've got the context of uh, three straight finals appearances. You've also got the context of losing the game's best player, and you've got the context of injuries this year, and he starts 0-6. So when you just look at it on the surface, Brian, of like, okay, are you, are you firing Ty Lue because the team is 0-6? To me, that doesn't make much sense. But, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think that any rational NBA observer is then going to, once you get past that initial shock of, of saying, really? Already? that you say, well, there has to be something internally a little deeper to this. And so let me ask you this, Brian, because you, you said that you're surprised it took this long. Do you mean surprised it took this long this season or just in a general sense surprised it, it went, you know, three and a half years? I, I just, you know, Ty Lue, was, Ty Lue wanted, 
was sort of viewing the situation differently from the summer onward. The Cavs have a team that's sort of cut in half. Well, first off, Michael, what did you think about? What did you think about when you saw it? I was surprised. I was really surprised. And then when I started to look into the the guts of it, I guess you know some of the things that you were reporting about, you know, the relationship with Altman. I'm like, well, what is he supposed to do? Like, you hire a man to win ball games for you. So, like, I I don't understand, you know, where the I guess the disconnect is between Lou and Altman. Yeah. So you look at their roster. Okay, it's sort of like half and half. They have. Some, you know, what I would call legacy guys, guys who have the rings from the championship a couple of years ago. You're talking about guys like Kevin Love, um, Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith. I'm going to put Kyle Korver into that. He didn't, um, win the title, but he sort of was a legacy guy who was acquired basically by David Griffin. Basically, you could say the David Griffin guys and the Kobe Altman guys. Then you have, you know, the guys that Kobe traded for, um, Last year, so you get you know Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, George Hill, but even George Hill's kind of a legacy guy because he's sort of an older veteran. Uh, and then you have sort of the 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 guys that uh, Kobe, the, the you know the guy that Kobe drafted, Colin Sexton, and some of the other guys that that they brought in, um, you know, this year, David Nwaba, for example. Um, not that we focus a lot on David Nwaba. But, you know, and Chetty Osman, who actually was drafted by David Griffin, but is sort of like, you know, their young guy going forward. Rodney Hood, a guy that uh, Altman brought in as GM. And so you kind of had sort of this double team, a team of veteran guys who were there to play around LeBron and a team of young guys. Um, you know, you could put, you know, you could put out a, a, a team there, you know, Auntie Zizic, who was in the Kyrie Irving trade. Um, you could put a team of both guys. You, you could have a, a, a roster that had like George Hill, uh, J.R. Smith, um, Kyle Korver, uh, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson. That could be one starting lineup. And you could have another starting lineup where you went totally young and like Kobe Altman guys with Colin Sexton and Jetty Osman and Rodney Hood and Larry Nance and Ante Zizic. There was like two totally different teams there, right? And so, Normally, what I would think is when LeBron walks, and this is the most important part of it to me, their draft pick is top 10 protected from an old trade. So if their pick falls in the top 10, they keep it. If it was lottery protected, it would be a little bit better because then they could try to go for the playoffs, and if they didn't, okay, they keep their pick. But if they ended up in that nether zone, that nether region between you know 10 and 14, which I kind of thought was might be where they would go based on their talent – they would lose their pick, and I'd be like, "What's the point of this? You know, what's what are we doing here?" Um, but they had a choice over the summer. Um, uh, Kyle Korver and G- uh, George Hill both have um, limited guaranteed money left. They could have bought them out, quite frankly, or maybe tried to ship them out. Um, you know, they could have investigated the trade market into Kevin Love, but instead they did the exact opposite. They extended Kevin Love and, in fact, told him that the reason that we're extending you is because we intend to compete right now. And that was what Love even said. Uh, Love took $120 million, which to me was the impetus for him doing it. But he, he could have gotten a big contract next summer. you know. Um, but they extended him and they didn't you know, trade or buy out anybody. They kept all those old guys and they basically presented the – the 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 thing hey we're going to we're going to try to compete and we're going to try to win and yeah we may miss out but we're going to go for it and they even 
I mean, this I'm going to make fun of this because I think it's stupid. I'm not saying I could do better, but like, um, Royce, what's the uh, Thunder's uh, like motto? Like right Thunder currently? Up? Is it like I mean, Thunder I, Up? I guess that's like their Twitter motto. Yeah, yeah, you can go make that. a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Michael, what's the Spurs? Is it like Go Spurs Go? Is that their? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, that's their hashtag. All right, so those are sort of legacies. Those sort of like just, all for one, right? Well, that's what, the, the, uh, what the, that, that, that that would be smart, Royce, to say all oh. for one because that's one of the things that you could have, whether you're one in thirty or thirty and one, you could say all for one. Go Spurs, go is legacy. Um, Thunder up is I don't really like Thunder up, but it's legacy. What wasn't Kevin Durant at one time? KD Thunder up. What was that's his first right. Twitter? Yeah. Yep. Um, the Cavs changed their slogan this year to "Be the fight." Be the fight. Now, it's not as bad as the Celtics. Be the tank. See, it's not as bad as the Celtics see us rise. Capital C, capital U. Yeah, that one's that one's tough. I just see cuss rise. Lowercase s, capital exactly. R. But whatever. So be the fight. So that was like their thing. Like they are going to fight without LeBron, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But here's the problem, and here's why I don't understand. Kobe Altman wanted Ty Lue to play the young players. And Dan Gilbert, the owner, really wanted uh, Colin Sexton to play more. He was averaging 23 minutes a game, which for a rookie point guard isn't, you know, ridiculously out of line, but they, you know, he they see him as the future of their franchise. And so this is what I don't understand. If you want to compete for the playoffs, wouldn't you play the veterans and limit the young guys? But what Kobe Altman was doing is he wanted J.R. Smith not to play at all. And look, J.R. has not been good. So, I, I mean, maybe that's fine. But but Ty Lue, the head coach, wanted to play J.R. because he trusted him as much as you can trust J.R. Smith. He didn't want Kyle Korver to play at all. He wanted those, those two guys to be out of the rotation. And um, he wanted to play uh, Colin Sexton a lot more than, than he was playing him instead of George Hill, who – you know, George Hill, say what you want about him, is a professional point guard. So this is where I don't quite understand what happened. So th- this would have been something that to me would have been decided in the summer. That you would have had your mo- you, you would have had everything lined up and an understanding of how you were going to play. And if the, if your concept was that you were going to play to, to win, so to speak, you were going to limit the young guys playing time. And Instead, they get into the season very early, and there's this tug of war going back and forth. They actually had a meeting where they sat down with J.R. Smith and, and uh, Kyle Korver and said, "Hey, uh, you guys are not going to play. Uh, we're going to play young guys over you. Um, you know, we need you to be professionals about it and everything." And they, those guys, were kind of pissed about it, naturally because they're competitors, but also because they were like, "Wait a minute! Over the summer, when you met with us, you told us we were going to play to win." And we, you know, whatever. So that lasted for like a game and a half. And then Ty Lu just decided I'm playing those guys again. And he decided it without talking to Kobe. Kobe showed up for a practice. The next thing you know, those guys were in the rotation. And a couple of games that those guys did play in the rotation, they played awful. Awful. J.R. Smith has been awful this year. And I think the I think the last game that they played, Jr. went zero of seven shooting. Yeah, against the Pistons. Yeah, and so you just basically had them on op, on really opposite pages, and 
you know, and I don't quite, you know, to me, I think the Cavs should probably take. And then you have the whole thing with Kevin Love has a bad toe. He's had a bad toe throughout the preseason. He tried to play through it um, early in the regular season. He put up decent numbers. He was averaging like 20 and 14, but he was shooting terribly. He was shooting like 30%. And so they're going to, there's a possibility he could soldier through it, but he's probably going to have to shut it down and just let it heal. It's a toe. There's not much you can do about it. You just have to rest it. He could be out a month or so. And this team doesn't have the, frankly, the personnel that would stand Kevin Love being out and be competitive. So they're going to lose no matter what. But um, anyway, that was a long-winded explanation of what was going on. I, so I, I think I think the flaw was in the roster design and not having the same understanding from day one of training camp. Well, wouldn't wouldn't this be the, I guess I would call it sensible resolution to this, Brian, is that Kobe Altman and Ty Lue maybe aren't on the same page in terms of minutes and rotation. Well, Kobe Altman does kind of have the ace in the hole in that he can trade J.R. Smith. He can move Kyle Korver to another team and, and basically force the hand of Ty Lue. So to me, what this essentially says is that Kobe Altman and ownership and everybody else involved in making the decision doesn't feel like Ty Lue is either a good enough coach to coach young guys and develop them, or like you said, there's there's an obvious uh, just like personal <laughs> dislike in play because this is if if you have a coach that you think is good and that you want to keep and that you think can develop players and in the long term is an asset to your franchise, you don't just fire the guy. Uh, based on the fact that he's not playing young players, you can have a disagreement there, and maybe it reaches to the point where it's like you're just you're you're so against each other. But that's that's where Kobe Altman can step in and adjust the roster in such that you know Colin Sexton has to play because he's the you know he he's the best point guard left on the roster. So I you know obviously it's it's messy and it's not ideal, and I think it's kind of par for the course when it when it comes to the Cavs. I mean, how many? How many coaches and how many general managers has Dan Gilbert had now? It's like what five and six and I don't know what it is. It's a lot. Well, Some good ones. And, and Ty was what the third most successful coach. I mean, I, I don't get it. I, I like like I said, you want him to win games, but then you're telling him he's got to win them with you know young players. You got to put you know your trusted veterans on the bench. I don't get it, man. But you know, I guess that's like Roy said. That's par for the course out there. <laughs> well, the thing about Ty also, Ty knew that he had three years and $16 million guaranteed on his contract too. Yeah. That's not so terrible to get fired when you have that left on your deal. It's like, all right, that's cool. Not at all. <laughs> do you guys think that Ty will, what do you think Ty's, uh, the regard is of him in the league? Do you think he'll get another job? That's a good question. A year, so. That's well, a very I good saw question. the way Doc, Doc Rivers reacted to it, you, you know, so I don't know. I, I think that there are some teams that would be, you know, they would probably want him on, on their staff, you know. I was actually shocked the way that Doc Rivers uh, reacted to it. But, you know, he sort of reacts that way to all these firings. But at the same time, I mean, he's a guy that played for Doc Rivers. So I, I could see him somehow getting on that staff. Well, and I mean, I don't know what yeah. Ty's health situation is right now. You know, obviously he had the, uh, the oh issue yeah, last that's season. that's a big one. But you know, and so he may just say like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little He's bit good, of time. Right? That's what we I just I just saw yeah. him last week. He he lost uh, 20 pounds. He, his his coloring was way better. I mean, there were times last year. Well, that's good. Where he just looked so pale, like um, you know, just 
everything that was going on. I mean, his, you know, he just, you know, he looks, he has a, he has a better glow to his face. Um, I mean, I think he gets so. another job though. I mean, there's like, I, I think of a lot of other coaches that, you know, they, they seem to kind of go out uh, with a whimper where they're at and a, a little bit of time passes. A lot of, a lot of these coaches like to take a year off and they, you know, they go meet with coaches. They go kind of sit in on practices and they yep. take some time. They they let the buzz build. They let some other openings kind of, you know, go through the, the, the ringer a little bit. Some other coaches get fired and, you know, some other front offices say, hey, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good name out there that's available. Well, this and, happened with Fisdale yeah. last year. Fisdale got right. fired early on. People thought it was a crime even though the team was pretty flawed. And Fisdale had two or three options. He could have had the Suns job probably, got the Knicks job. He interviewed – I yeah, guys become hot world. names in coaching very quick. Like right. they, they become like the hot available name just by being available and a rec- he, he's got an NBA title. And I know people can say that yes, LeBron was the coach of that team and LeBron uh, won it. First of all, I always thought Ty Lue handled that that type of stuff very well. I, any yep. any press conference I was ever in with Ty, he was always self deprecating and very self aware. And and to me, it always made him very likable. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I, he's he's got an he's an NBA title coach, and you can't take that away from him, regardless of the fact that he had LeBron James on that team. He won an NBA title, so you know that that that's a pretty good bullet point to have on the resume. No, I was about to say I have to agree because I mean, you know, the way they won that title too. I mean, let's not forget that. You know, I mean, and I get the whole LeBron factor, but to me, being able to coach in that situation with LeBron being who he is. I, to me, that that gives you even more stripes as a coach, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say defensively, if you uh, ties he, the the thing about it is that he was a, like their their defensive assistant, and they actually weren't that bad under David Blatt when he took over as a head coach. Now, part of it was David Griffin was a real offensive minded GM who was raised in the Phoenix Sun system, and all the trades he made were for offensive players. But that team was terrible defensively. They were bottom five defensively um, last year. It was a miracle they made the finals. Um, but they did make it, and there's something to be said for that. And and Ty, I'll tell you one thing that Ty has on his resume that you're not going to find very often. And, and Royce, you're right about um, the title. The man won two game sevens in the playoffs on the road. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and yes, LeBron played, you know, the dominating role in both those games, one being in the finals, one being in the conference finals. Um, but Ty Lu made lineup changes and maneuvers in those games. And, um, you know, game seven victories on the road happen very infrequently. Is it also fair to say, Brian, that maybe we don't really know how good a coach Ty Lu is because, you know, he was always one of the, the kind of, most intriguing assistant coach names out there. Um, he almost got the head coaching job for which was it the when he was the associate head coach? Was where was that? Was that uh, I'm trying to think? Well, was he also got the head coaching job with the the Cavs, <laughs> right? He was. I know Golden he was the State? associate the Wait associate head coach. That, somewhere I don't else. remember that. Andrew, that was Andrew the Han. Golden State. Yeah, he, he almost was, got uh, that job. He was no, he was he was the associate head coach in Golden State. He was okay. with the Clippers for a year. And then he went to Golden State, and then that's when he interviewed for the Cavs job. Regardless, though, he, he's I don't always think been. I don't. He was in Golden State. I have zero recollection of that. I'm going to his Wikipedia right now. 
with Let's her. Let's confirm it. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not challenging Andrew Han. Oh, wait, no, that was Gentry. Thank you. No, I'm sorry. That's Gentry. Gentry was the associate <laughs> Anthony, coach don't cut that out. Then cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, Andrew, the Han. They were Clippers from assistants. the Clippers to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, but Lou he was the associate head coach with the Clippers, though, right? Yeah. Wasn't he the associate yes. head coach? Yes, of the he was head coach, head coach of the Cleveland. He was getting paid a million dollars. He was the highest paid assistant yeah. of all time. Point being, uh, though, is that we don't really know how good a coach he really is because of the LeBron factor, right? So, like, I, I think it's somewhat comparable to Eric Spolstra in that most people around the league that were smart agreed that Eric Spolstra was a very good coach uh, with the Miami Heat, but he had LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and that was a difficult team in, in some ways to coach. It was an easy team to coach, but it was also kind of a difficult team to coach in terms of. Just, uh, demonstrating like your tactical savviness and all these type of things. Those guys leave, and now every, Eric Spolster is regarded as, as probably one of the five best coaches in the NBA because everybody can see how well he can coach. And so I think you could maybe put Ty Lue into that same category. Is I don't know that we know exactly what kind of coach he is at this point because he's never coached LeBron, never not coached LeBron. Right, and he may get another chance just because of that. One more thing before I move on to your guys' teams. Um. Larry Drew, and, and I have no idea what will happen by the time this podcast posts. Maybe it'll all be nice and settled and we'll be behind. But I just want to say that Larry Drew is in a very interesting position. So he's been a head coach before. He's been a successful head coach. He made the playoffs all three years he was coaching Atlanta. They tanked for a year. He was in Milwaukee. The ownership changed, and they hired a coach before they fired him. If you remember that one, that was an interesting maneuver. Um, they had to go in and say, hey, Larry, by the way, we, are, we, we just traded for Jason Kidd. Um, that means you can't be the coach anymore. He got unceremoniously taken uh, out there after a season. But he makes $1.1 million, one of the highest paid assistants in the league. He has only this year on his contract. And quite frankly, the Cavs need him more than he needs the Cavs. Because if they send him on his way, he'll take his million bucks, which he was going to get anyway, and he will have a job in the NBA next year. Um, if he takes over as head coach, he's going to inherit a team that's got major flaws and it doesn't have Kevin Love for a while and potentially going to take a lot of losses. I don't think it's going to burnish his, rec- his resume. So he's going to take it on the chin, even though he'll do the best he can for the franchise. And I would assume follow orders of Kobe Altman on who to play. Um, but he basically wants to get paid. And as of last night, the Cavs were balking at that. Now, again, there's a little bit of a time delay here. Things can be handled. What do you guys think about an interim coach? Who's next in line? Pulling up? Well, that's the thing. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Jim Boylan, who's been an assistant coach several times in his career, uh, left the He's staff. He's been an interim coach, too. Oh, he did? Oh, I didn't yeah, know he left he the staff. He left the staff. Okay. So if, if he was still there, I would have said him. I actually think okay. there's a possibility that they would maybe go to James Posey. Oh, I was hoping you were saying um, player coach J.R. Smith. <laughs> I don't know how much J.R. is going to be playing. That would be beautiful. <laughs> um, well, let so him coach, of, then. What do you think of what Larry Drew is doing here? He's doing the right thing. I mean, you, you, I would think you want, you know, a little bit more than just the rest of this season in terms of, you know, like, isn't he negotiating? He's basically negotiating. Well, he wants money. I mean, and trying I mean, to get something beyond. Yeah, I mean, right. Y- y- yeah, he wants something added to his contract, but basically what he wants is money added to his contract. Whether or not he's actually in the job or not, he wants more money. I don't blame him. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and, and right. a little bit of security too, right? I mean, that's like, that's the, no, I mean, you can call it security. If there's a new coach coming in and the coach doesn't want Larry Drew, they'll fire him. <laughs> he just, he, he's like, listen, pay me more money to deal with this headache and take all these losses. And well, cause like you're said, exactly he, right. He, he is going to damage his, to be his the fight. resume to a degree. Yeah, he's got to right. be, the, be fight. the fight. He's got to be the fight. Hashtag be the fight. Uh, I'm just saying, Larry, and here's the thing about Dan Gilbert. People know he'll pay. I mean, to, to go back on what Ty Lue did, I don't want to spend all this time because I don't know if our listeners care that much about the Cavs, but Ty Lue got the job midseason, okay? And he, 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 he took the job, but he never signed a contract, all right? So he takes the job mid-year. And the Cavs, I'll be damned if they don't go ahead and win the title. Now Ty Lue is sitting there without a contract to be the head coach because he knew he might be able to squeeze Dan Gilbert. And when it was all done, Ty Lue had coached for, he'd been the head coach from January to June, and he got a five-year, 30-some million dollar contract because he had the Cavs in a corner. And Dan Gilbert will have to pay coaches. And Larry Drew's leverage is dramatically smaller, but he does have a modicum of leverage, and Dan Gilbert has been known to have to pay coaches. That's the one thing the man will do. The man will, when, when pushed in the corner, the man will back down and, and write the check. It's happened yeah, over pay, and over and over. He'll pay three or four coaches at a time, <laughs> all at the same time. He'll, he'll at <laughs> midseason, he'll spend, he'll spend the first few months not wanting to pay more luxury tax because no one's paid more luxury tax than him in the last five years. But then at midseason... He'd always write the check to add the players because they know that when push comes to shove, Dan Gilbert, because he's so competitive, wants to spend. And I think Larry Drew is as aware of that as anybody. All right. Um, hey, Brian. Last night – go ahead, Michael. Well, no, no it's Andrew, but oh, I appreciate being confused for Michael. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, okay. it's great. This is, this he's is very, great. Michael's uh, very masculine, and I thought it was – so you should be very happy. He's he cooks giant slabs uh, of meat. He he's very he's a he's a man's man. There's no complaints coming from this end. I mean, Michael might object that we've okay. just been compared to each other, but I certainly do not. Uh, does Ty Lue getting fired? <laughs> does Ty Lue getting fired uh, start a domino effect at all, or does it? start putting other coaches on the hot seat where front offices might say, hmm, maybe we should look at Ty Lue more closely. Good question. Well, if you, if you have a bad record right now, Great question. you're like, hmm. Michael, what do you think about that? That's a great question because, I mean, I don't, you know, it's everybody sort of watches and, and ends up copying off other teams and, you know, you keep, you look around the league at what's going on right now. Like, for instance, Royce, this would never happen, but, you know, the Thunder off to a bad start, mm-hmm. you know, they they wouldn't do anything with Billy, would they? No. That wouldn't happen. Do anything with Billy. No. But, you know, I just think that teams start to watch other teams and they, they say, hey, you know, maybe we should try this. And that that's the only thing I can see happening. But I, I think it's too early in the season for it to really be a, a dramatic domino effect, if any. Well, now, I was, if there was an if there was an owner out there or somebody that had kind of an infatuation with Ty Lue or the you know the big name kind of uh, factor there, I you know you could see it happening where it, it's you know uh, somebody says, well, I, I want Ty right. Lue now and he's available, 
So let's make it happen. But again, I mean, there's so many factors in play there. It's got to be the right situation that the current existing coach probably needs to not have maybe as much money and years remaining on his contract yeah. that Ty Lue currently does. Um, and so there, there's a number of factors there. Well, I think uh, I was with the Wizards last night. They're one and five. They're not in a good place right now. But um, their yeah. coach or their owner, Ted Leonsis, is well known for having a very steady hand. So part of it has to do with your ownership and that. I mean, a couple of years ago, they started off uh, three and nine and ended up winning, I think, almost 50 games. So, um, but Ty, because he's got 16 million left on his contract, he can he can wait around and see what develops. Exactly. Cool. I'm cool. Yeah. I'll just take a year. We should here. try to get him on ESPN. Um, although Ty hates the, he, he's a great guy. He doesn't like hate media, but Ty does not enjoy doing media obligations. So I don't know how he would be in the studio. Um, so last night, um, the Thunder got their first win against the Suns. Um, Royce, I haven't really watched that much Thunder basketball. I know that you know Russ missed a couple games. Now mm-hmm. Stephen Adams is banged up. Although Nerlens Noel had a twenty and fifteen game last night. Um, give us your uh, your report on the state of the Thunder at this point. I don't think it's as bad as it appears, and I, I, you know I think when the fact that they started zero and four gives the impression that you know there's uh, there's some smoke billowing on the horizon, and um, it, it could get really ugly for them. Like like Mike even asked you know about a lot of there's there's been some kind of low rumbling of of could Billy Donovan be in trouble? Look, and I can tell you right now that there's there's nothing on the forefront about Billy Donovan the Thunder ownership, Thunder uh, front office is very, very stable. It's very, very consistent and not reactionary whatsoever. And and what they've kind of looked at too, Brian, is that uh, outside of the like the most important factor, which is winning and losing, but there have there's been marked signs of improvement uh, within the offense. You know, the Thunder have kind of tried to um, tweak their offensive identity a little bit. They want to play faster. They want to make quicker decisions. Um, they want to play with a lot more pace. They're still out there looking for that uh, mythological ball movement that they've been trying to somehow engineer for the last <laughs> decade that they will never really completely do. Look, and they even know. I mean, I've had conversations with Sam Presti before, and he he understands it, that he'll, he'll say it. Like, they're not going to be the San Antonio Spurs. They're not going to be um, – one of these like you know beautiful basketball poetry ball moving teams. That's just not how they're going to be because they're not designed that way. Their best player because they have doesn't play that way. Yeah, their best player doesn't play that way. But guess what? Their best player can play a very specific way, very very well, and they can still win a whole lot of games. And the Thunder don't have to win within this like box of ball movement. But they do want to try to expand outside of it. And there's been a lot of positive signs. You know, they lost the game against the Kings, which is really the one loss that's been bad this year. The, the other ones, you know, they lost on the road opening night against the Warriors. They lost on the road against the Clippers and had a really bad second half. No two games, no Russell Westbrook. They lost at home in Westbrook's first game to the Boston Celtics in a really close game. Um, and then, but they lost to the Sacramento Kings. That was a, and that's that the was one. A, that was the bad a good one. Loss. That's the bad one. And the, and the, but the thing is about that game, Brian, and I know a lot of people probably aren't like popping in the tape to that Sacramento Kings game. No, I'm but talking about I, the I can, Celtics game. That was a that was a rough oh, game. that was a bad loss. That was a bad loss. But it was against a good team, and it was close. And you know, the, you know, they blew a big lead. It, it, to me, that's that's an NBA game that you lose periodically throughout the year. But the the game against the Kings, if you go back and rewatch it. I, I can sit here and say I've watched a lot of Thunder games over the last 10 years, and that's probably one of the five best offensive games I've ever seen them play. And that's, but within that, uh, they shot, I think, seven, or I think it was nine of 39 from three. They shot the ball horribly. 
but they generated more good looks off of ball movement and spacing than maybe they've ever they've ever had. They, the Thunder could have scored 150 points in that game if they could have shot worth a darn. And and that's really if you kind of dive within in the numbers here, you look at the the expected field goal percentage, you look at the amount of wide open shots they're generating, catch and shoot shots. Like <clears throat> I was looking at it uh, the other day. This is before the game against the Suns. Uh, the Thunder, I think, are taking the fourth most wide open shots, what's defined as wide open shots in the NBA. And they were hitting their effective field goal percentage, which factors in the fact that three is worth more than two. Their effective field goal percentage was 35%. So that's dead last in the league. That's 30th. That's a horrible 29th, though, Brian. League. 29th was the Pistons at like 46%. So the Thunder oh, weren't only really dead last. They were dead last by like 11 percentage points. They were dead last in field goal percentage, dead last in three-point percentage, and dead last in free throw percentage. So you can look at it and you can say they can't shoot. That's a problem. But the, but it, but the if you go within it, it's good shooters are not making shots. Paul George is missing wide open shots. Patrick Patterson's historically a good shooter. He's missing shots. Westbrook doesn't really have his legs under him for his jumper yet. So there, there's when when you talk to people within the Thunder, they they are kind of willing to take a deep breath and say, look, there's a context to this. And if this was a four-game losing streak in February, there wouldn't be near as much panic and attention put on it as starting as the fact that they started zero and four. Oh, no doubt about it. And also, I mean, look at if you look at how their schedule sort of shapes up these next what four or five games. They, it, it's a pretty decent schedule. I mean, you know, they right. they've got the Wizards, I think, on the second. Pelicans is going to be a tough one, but then the Cavs, like you know how they can get back. Sort, to, they can so, get back to five hundred quickly. Yeah. Right, right, right. And that's the thing. Like you know, people freak out when when you know teams start off slow, especially it seemed like OKC because there was so you know the expectations were huge. But like I said, let's let's give it a let's get a bigger sample size before we start really freaking out about the Thunder. And you know, I, I read that that last piece you wrote, you know, about the effective shooting percentage and all those things. And, and one point that you made in the article was really good, is that it, at some point it regresses to the means. And mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, right now they're not hitting shots, but they will hit shots. You know, yeah. it, it, it's I, they're going to be fine. They'll and if they don't, then, then you've got, the <laughs> you got a huge problem. You've got a huge problem if they don't. But, yeah. They'll be in the mix. Like, They'll... Do you guys like the Thunder's roster right now? Like, Obviously, they have two top 20 players, top 15, depending on – I don't know where they came in NBA rank. Um, like, they are, they, they've made some – some role player adjustments that I like. There's other guy. I mean, like the other night that Celtics game, um, like they were relying on Alex Sabrinas down the stretch of that game. Yeah. Um, well, but I, they're they're missing a guy right now, Brian. I mean, and and I'm not just huge. talking about Andre. I'm not talking about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Andre Robertson not being out there is greatly affecting them because of what he does. He's such a fantastic individual defender. The, the dirty little secret with the Thunder is that systematically they are a very mediocre defensive team. They, they, and that's one of the reasons they made a, a little bit of a coaching tweak. You know, Adrian Griffin left, and they brought in Bob Beyer, who's a, really a Billy Donovan hire, um, kind of comes from the Van Gundy uh, family tree. And th- they've tried to kind of restructure their defensive system because they've, they've always been a pretty good defensive team, but that's because they've had high-level defensive players that have been able to do it. And so they kind of rely on individual excellence on the defensive end, and they don't want to be that so much anymore. But outside of just missing Andre Robertson, they don't, they, that fifth guy is kind of this, this 
perpetual problem that they have. Right now they're starting Terrence Ferguson at shooting guard in place of, uh, of Andre Robertson. They've got Hamadou Diallo, who's been, uh, who was a second-round pick and has been really uh, kind of a, uh, a diamond in the rough, at least early on. They you know, went and got Abdul Nader from the Celtics. They got Tim Luwawu Cabarro from the uh, 76ers. Um, they've kind of got all these wings, and they they just kind of thrown them at the wall and are hoping one will stick. That's what I'm but, saying. There's not. I mean, let me say, don't you, didn't you think Patrick Patterson was going to be a better pickup for them? Yeah, he started out really slow. He he's got a, he shot the ball better. Uh, you know, he had a decent fourth quarter against the Celtics, and uh, you know played. I mean, I just thought that was a great game. signing at the time. Yeah, he made a lot of sense, and he was supposed to be their starting four. And then they went and traded for Carmelo Anthony, and that kind of and now Patrick Patterson's not even starting. You know they've started Jeremy Grant the last two games. I actually like Jeremy Grant. I, I like him. Yeah. Um, but, but he just, but he, he reduces you in the shooting aspect, which is like the give and take that they're going to have. Is now, you know you you take one good shooter out and you put a, a less you know a, a negative shooter in, and and that hurts you a little bit. Yeah, I just I as you said they kind of have a hole, and I realize that Roberson is and he's now had three surgeries, unfortunately, but. Uh, I realize that that was a, a core guy, but I just feel like um, there was a but he shouldn't be there. like the MVP of your team, and that's no, I agree, I what, agree. I just, I, I just think that there's, there's, there's a lot of spots on that they have on the roster that they're not getting right. a lot out of, and I'm not saying, oh boy, what terrible management. I'm just saying, well, I know, do think, I think adding Dennis Schroeder was a good move for them, and you he know, can't shoot at all right now, right? I mean, he's just, he's, what, he's, he's not a good shooter. Yeah, I mean, he's not a good three-point shooter specifically. He's a decent he mid-range shooter. But having a player like that alongside Westbrook, they've, Billy Donovan's played Schroeder and Westbrook together already a lot, and that that can be a big-time asset just to get Westbrook off the ball. And that's that's really kind of the way that you unlock some of that ball movement is that you just take the ball out of Westbrook's hands and that you use Westbrook more as a cutter and, a, and kind of a secondary action guy where the ball goes to somewhere, goes to somewhere, then it comes to Westbrook, and then he can run you know, downhill or do whatever he wants. And that's no, I respected that move because they could have just flat-out cut Carmelo, and they, it cost them a lot of money to do it this way, but they, but they bolstered their roster. I'm just saying that some of the guys they have and some of their roles just aren't playing up to their level yet. No, oh, maybe hey, Brian, we have breaking news here in the NFL. This is the Browns fired Hugh Jackson. How about that? Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Hugh and Lou. Yeah, oh, no, you, boy, t- Cleveland just just cutting them all loose. Now, are you are you really ups- are you really upset because um, um, the people think that um, this is the, the only coach I've known, hire. Brian? This is emotional <laughs> for me. Are you upset because the, the, you know a lot of people think that they want to hire Lincoln Riley? Yeah, that that is a little bit terrifying. A lot of people it's around terrifying here terrifying for Lincoln Riley. There, there's people around here that think that Lincoln Riley is going to the, the Ca- Dallas Cowboys are going to go after him, but I don't know. So mm, okay. Um, all right, Michael, uh, I got to see the Spurs last week, and uh, I was at the game where um, DeMar DeRozan had a career-high 14 assists, and they had a, um, a nice come-from-behind win over the Lakers the other night. The Lakers controlled that game like all the way through the midway through the fourth quarter, and then they came back and won both those games against the Lakers. They pulled out of there, you know what, because they were way behind in yep. overtime against the Lakers, even though they blew it in uh, regulation. But um, considering... Everything, considering that you know Kawhi is gone, and then they lost their top two point guards, um, and I don't even think Aldridge is playing that well, to be honest with you, in my opinion. Um, no, he's not. I'll, he's missing shots. I'll, I'll leave it. I'll yield to you. Um, they're okay. 
they're okay. And there's uh, there's some 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 signs of positivity. And Demar, I think, is is being exactly the player that they thought and more so far. What's your give us your early report on the Spurs? I would say that in Demar's case, he's been better than advertised. And, you know, I, I was like everybody else whenever he first signed with the Spurs and that you or when, when the trade first went down, you're worried about, you know, this abundance of mid-range game. But I've really come to find that, you know, with DeMar, like he's going to get to the line, you know. So, yes, it's not as as efficient, you know, for the analytics folks. But, you know, he's going to get to the line. But more than that, it seems to me like, everybody around him is more engaged offensively because they know the ball is coming. And that is, I I think an element that uh, an element of the game that Kawhi didn't necessarily bring, you know, Kawhi is great defensively and he's a great, you know, isolation scorer, but you know, DeMar gets everybody else involved. And I think that really fits into, you know, what the Spurs want to do. And like you said, it's, it's there. It's funny because they're okay. You know, they lose all these point guards, and you're like, oh man. And then all of a sudden, Bryn Forbes is starting. Well, you know, Bryn, he's he he's a very confident kid. I mean, you know, and he, he's shooting the lights out right now. And I think, like I said, I think Demar make he makes it possible for everybody to get quality shots, and that's the Spurs' way. And I think it's been working. But right now, I got to tell you. Pop is pulling his hair out about, you know, what they're doing defensively. Like, it's driving him crazy that teams are scoring, like, 120 well, on him. that is where DeMar is. Yes, you know, that's deficient. not where he's going to excel. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, but but I think he'll so. be better defensively playing for Pop, though. You know, because Pop, you know, he, he he's that's the focus with, with the Spurs is defense. And then everything sort of just goes off that. And I'm not saying DeMar is going to light it up defensively, but – I think he's going to be better than he was in Toronto, and you know that's going to take some time. I was going to say, just in this one of the best examples of how the beat goes on in San Antonio, I'm looking at their, their stats right now, and I didn't realize, I knew Brent Forbes was playing well. He's averaging 15 a game. Yeah, like, yeah. And he's shooting I remember like you telling me 47%. Percent. I want to say this was like two years ago. I was down in San Antonio, and you were telling yep. me about some of the assistant coaches were saying this might be one of the best shooters they've ever had in San Antonio, Bryn, when, yes. talking about Brent Forbes. Yeah, Brian, when 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 Chip England first saw Bryn Forbes shooting when he went to work him out, they were like, we got to draft this guy. This is like one of the best natural shooters I've ever seen. And, you know, that was very high praise at that time. But, you know, you you're starting to sort of see what they saw in him when they first brought him in here. And, you know, like I said, the guy does 46 percent. from Yeah. And the kid does not lack in confidence at all. So that's been sort of a, you know, kind of a. I guess a bright spot in, in this whole situation with them losing all these, these point or these guards, you know, and we still don't know when Derek white is going to be back or Lonnie Walker, the rookie, but you know, their, their injury situations are pretty encouraging. I mean, like Derek, he's got plantar fascia and the way I'm told is where it is, is like not in, in the worst spot it could be. But the, the Spurs worry is that, you know, with that type of, injury like you can feel like you have it licked and then you know and everything could be going great the next thing you know you have a setback that leaves you worse off than you were before so that's the big worry with Derek and they're gonna well yeah just ask uh just ask Pau Gasol about that he tore his plantar he had plantar fasciitis he tried to play through it he tore it 
uh, back yeah. was with the Lakers. Hey, Michael, would you refresh my memory? How serious were the talks with Kawhi and the 76ers? Did they ever, I just can't remember. Did they, how seriously down the tracks did they get? Well, they got serious. Well, I would say it was pretty serious because they knew his medical. You know what I mean? Like, like because yeah. he was working with their trainer and everything. So they knew the medical and everything. And you know how it goes. Like a team typically doesn't, you know, send off the medical stuff unless something is about to happen. But, you know, I talked to some people within the organization just recently because I'm, I've, I got to do a shameless plug here. I've got a, a DeMar DeRozan feature coming out here in a couple of days. And, you know, I was told that, you know, at the end of the day, once they surveyed the, the trade landscape, that nobody was really interested in giving up all the, the assets that the Spurs wanted for Kawhi. So I don't know how serious it was, but like I said, they did have the medical information, which means they sort of had a leg up on everybody else. Well, the, one, so, the reason I'm asking is because um, Chip England, who was the legendary shooting coach for the Spurs, he was one of the first coaches in the league, to, one of the first teams to have a shooting specialist. And there's a whole bunch of disciples of Hugh Jackson. Uh, Hugh Jackson. God, my brain. <laughs> so sad. There's a whole. There's no disciples of Hugh Jackson. There's a whole bunch of uh, disciples out there of um, Chip England. Um, and people trying oh, to Hugh Jackson to Chip England. That was, that was, <laughs> that was bad. I, I apologize. This is why I can't have my computer open during the show. I looked at, I got a text message. I looked at it real quick. It said something about Hugh. And this is why I can't, I've reached a point in my life where I cannot multitask. And I, I know this and I shouldn't allow myself to do it. Um, but, um, and the reason I'm going here is that this is one of the things that Chip England specializes in. Not only actually improving guys shots. But when they look at uh, potential players to get, um, like Bryn Forbes, he can watch them on film and say, I-, I can make this guy great or I can make this guy better. But there are times when he looks at guys and says, I can't – I'm not going to be able to fix that guy. It's not going to work. Like he right. is not one of these guys who believes he can fix anything. And the reason I'm asking about the Sixers is because I really wonder – I mean, maybe they weren't even offering Markel Fultz. Fultz. Maybe Fultz. Yeah, I knew you were going there. <laughs> but I gotta believe that Chip England prepared a report, whether it was verbal or written, for RC Buford and Greg Popovich about whether or not he could fix Markel Fultz's shot. I, I mean, and no one's ever going to say. But and I don't. Again, I don't even know if Fultz was in the offering. But I, I do think it's interesting that you know they didn't go after. Or didn't acquire faults when they maybe could have. They tried, and you know, like I said, you know, the, the the Sixers just weren't willing to give up those young assets, and I think that's sort of where the snag was with the Spurs. I mean, because you you saw like when it when the trade stuff first went down, like I remember thinking like the Spurs just want the world here, like nobody's gonna give them what they want here. And, you know, that's sort of how it panned out. And as a matter of fact, I, I was talking to R.C. Buford the other day. We were uh, I was working on the, on the DeMar piece and he sort of said it without saying it that, you know, hey, you know, it was almost like DeMar was a gift because nobody was offering a player like that to us when we were, you know, surveying this whole trade landscape. So, you know, it's. And meanwhile, the Raptors are thrilled. They're undefeated. Right. And Kawhi's, right. Kawhi's looked he he started off a little slow, but 
he's come on very strong. And uh, the Raptors, you know, they're, I mean, we're still early here, but the Raptors are feeling great about it. And I think the Spurs, I mean, the Spurs' preference would be to have Kawhi Leonard under a long-term contract. That's not – but I think the Spurs, what they're getting from DeMar, and not only that, but he's being a playmaker. And, um, um, you know, I wrote about this last week, but – it always irked DeMar that people pigeonholed him as an ISO player. And look, he was an ISO player. Let's not, let's not joke around. He, and he did ISO a lot. But he felt that it was a part of the way they played, not necessarily because he couldn't do it. And, um, you know, th- this uh, undercurrent of, of DeMar trying to live well by moving on but yet has to live with the, the, the Raptors off to his awesome start – you know, I think he's loving the fact that he's there. What does he average, like nine assists a game, Michael? Yep. It might even be up high. No, it's right around nine because he almost had a triple-double the other day, but I think he only had eight assists against the Lakers that last game. So, yeah, I mean. Well, his career but, high in assists is, was five a game, and that was last year. And before that, I think it was like three and change. So he, right. he people who said he was an ISO player were not completely out of line, but he has been getting better in recent years. He has been becoming more of a playmaker for sure. Seven point eight yeah. assists per game. Seven eight, yep. Um, so last night, and I, I, I want to hear everyone's opinion on this, including Andrew the Han. I was at the uh, Clipper game, Clippers Wizards. By the way, Clippers are interesting. Not enough to talk about just yet, but Clippers have an interesting team, mm-hmm. and they have an interesting future. Um, a little bit of excitement around the Clippers. Uh, no one's paying attention of, to them. A lot of good in the players Lakers on landscape. That team. They've got like eight or nine good players. And some people think Tobias Harris is a great player. I'm not quite there yet. I think he's a good player. But some people think he's a great player. Um, Last night in the middle of the first quarter, they did a tribute video for Austin Rivers. (laughs) And it was a nicely put together tribute video. It had his moment in the playoff where he got hit in the face and had like a black eye and, and played through bleeding. He had his... Game winner that he hit against the Rockets in the playoffs a few years ago. Had him out in the community, um, like meeting with kids in hospitals. And they were playing some Jay-Z song underneath it. I don't know enough about it where he was saying, thank you, thank you, or whatever. You're far too kind. Yeah, I can sing that to you. <laughs> you know, you, I knew you, I, I, I figured Stage something was Mike. Um, <laughs> Andrew Hahn, I have to go to you on this Austin Rivers trivia video. You, and I have nothing against Austin, but you know your thoughts, please. Um, I I also have no thoughts. I mean, oh, if that's, if that's the Clippers shame. had made a conference finals, or I mean, there's there's police coming for me right now. If you can hear that, because <laughs> they don't want to it's talk about take the police. Come on, bring much. it. No, but if if the Clippers had beaten the Rockets if they didn't collapse after a 3-1 lead or if they had uh, beaten the Blazers when both Chris Paul and Blake Griffin went out, it would seem more reasonable. And also if Austin Rivers was named like Austin Johnson or something like that, uh, it would make more sense because uh, he did try very hard and he did ingratiate himself with the Clippers fan base considerably. But like, I mean, I asked this the other night, what is the Mendoza line of tribute videos? Yeah. Uh, how, what do you have to do for a team in order to to merit getting a tribute video? 
Here, here's where I felt like that this wasn't a great idea to do a tribute video is when I saw people tweeting about it. First of all, I thought it was like everybody was sarcastically making a joke like, hey, here comes the Austin Rivers tribute video. <laughs> you know, and I was thinking like, ha, that's funny. And then it was like, oh, they really did one. And then I thought to myself, are the Clippers doing this sarcastically? And I was like, surely not. That'd be super mean. <laughs> I don't think so. No, it was, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful, uh, beautifully edited together package. But here's where we're what at was with the- these tri- these tribute videos are out of control. And, and I almost guarantee it because the Hawks are savvy and the Hawks are smart. They're going to do a Carmelo Anthony tribute video. And we're all going to laugh. That will, be that. <laughs> that will be the end of the tribute videos. Like we'll reach the lowest of the low. And like, I thought you were going to say they were going to do a Dennis Schroeder tribute video because that would really be stunning. No way. I, see, a lot of people have panned the thunder for having kind of this no tribute video policy because they're like, how could you not give Kevin Durant a tribute video? And it's to me like, that's a good policy because these tribute videos are out of control because it's like, okay, you did one for this guy, but you didn't do one for this guy. So literally, are you just doing right. it for a guy? Wait are we going to have one where it's like a two-way contract where a guy is 30 like, second oh, timeout. 30 second timeout. I don't have a problem with a team saying we're not going to do tribute videos, but that was a vindictive one. Just it was, like it was, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's it, fair. It say. was the, the Cavs did not give LeBron a tribute video when he came back, and that was vindictive on their part as well. It's okay to maybe they're maybe they have good reason to be vindictive. Please, Thunder organization who are listening, just we agree to disagree. I respect you. Don't call me. Don't email me. We just agree to disagree on this one. I, okay, go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll give you two choices here. Number one, I see the Wizards are struggling, and you can talk about that. Or, number two, on the topic of Mike Wright's uh, enjoyment of pettiness, did you guys see the Warriors video after they beat the Knicks, oh, how they yeah. went on Fergie again? Tee off, Mike. That was that was great. Like I, I was dying laughing when I saw it. No, it's just this is the thing about the Warriors. They're a team that really they don't take themselves too seriously, but you better believe they don't take you seriously either. And that's what I loved about that whole video. I was dying laughing because it was just like when that beat dropped and they. <laughs> okay, that good, was great. good point here. Do you think that was one take, or do you think there was more takes? Because I, I love thinking ki- about that. Because they kind of had. Like a thing where when the when it went to the remix, that they all start and they sort of were warming uh-huh. up to it. Like you could see their shoulders starting to move, and there were guys dancing across the screen. Is that one take or not? I think it was multiple <sighs> takes, probably. If it was, that takes that takes away from it for me, you know, because I like it spontaneous <laughs> in the moment. Because I always wonder you know, that with. I always wonder that with players when they're like Instagramming in their car while they're driving, which sidebar, why, please stop doing that. NBA players or just professional athletes in general, stop driving and video. That's your boy Westbrook, while. who's I know he's the king songs. of it. He's the king of it, and it's just I can't wait till he gets in a and you know he rear ends somebody, and it's going to be on his Instagram story. It'll be like that episode of Parks and Recreation where Tom Haverford does like the the evidence of him tweeting while he got in a car accident. But anyway. Uh, I, I, I like imagining that like Westbrook's going through like multiple takes of him singing too, like singing along those. Like he's rewinding the song and like has to like you know, read. <laughs> I'm well, shocked okay. he knows the words to Taylor Swift <laughs> and all that. But all right, well maybe they didn't have two, multiple takes, but they definitely had a discussion of how they were going to yeah. do it. Right. And my, my so favorite awesome part about this, it is my. Well, I was going to say my favorite part about it is Brian is that they were in a close game with the Knicks, and then it's like they it wasn't that yeah. turned it, it was on. Twenty eight. It was twenty eight points. 
Yeah, well, they, it was kind of a close game, and then it's like they blew them out in the fourth quarter. And almost, I just, I love the idea that like the Warriors were like, okay, we we've got this. We're, we're going to troll the the Fergie national anthem. What's what's the husband ex husband's name? Josh Dumel. Josh Dumel. Dumel. Oh, there's no and, question that this was. And that, that they were like, we gotta get, we gotta get this over with. Oh, much discussion went into this because it was only a few, the guys are still in their uniforms. They were just beginning to ice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't do that um, if you lose to the Knicks. You get, you got to make sure. Right, but I mean, like this was like <laughs> on the bus over from the hotel. Like this was, like this was, this was a malt. This didn't. This was not spontaneous. I don't think. After, I mean, I don't have any. After we smoke the Knicks, we're gonna get Josh Dumel in the locker room. But and so they were probably like looking at each other, like, man, y'all, we gotta, we gotta finish this off so but, we can do our. But Josh, our Josh took it well. Josh took it well though, which which oh, what I was his response? Too, I didn't see it. He said, "Don't." He said something about like uh, if you if less, you come to the champs. Yeah, lesson yeah. learned. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so it was good. I thought it was funny, but um, did, you, know, did you guys it, even remember that national anthem? I didn't even recall that. Maybe it's just oh, the yeah. All Star. Oh really? Oh, yeah, okay. it was. It was like oh a big yeah, deal. like as soon as as soon as I saw the video, I went back and rewatched it because people were like really upset. Oh, I can't believe the they're they're, they're making fun of probably her most embarrassing moment. No. Fergie went for it on the anthem because you know as <laughs> she went for it, and this is the thing you know you got to think that that like singers are just as competitive as athletes, and she's heard all the great national anthem renditions throughout history mm-hmm. or whatever, and she was going for her own, and she missed it happens you know shoot yeah. or shoot take and the she L. shot missed yeah take she the shot L. An air ball you know some, yeah. sometimes. Sometimes Draymond Green airballs a three, and, and you know the opposing crowd jeers him and laughs at him and chants that's air right. Ball. And so that's just what happened here for Ferg. That's right. You, sometimes yeah, you got exactly. some, if you're going to be out there on the stage. Sometimes you got to take the the backlash. That's right. Right. Yeah. She went for it. It's okay. But it was a it was a it was hilarious. Like like Michael said, I, I definitely rewatched it like three or four times. And I was because every time I watched it, I was watching different guys. Like one time, was I was it Jordan Bell that kind of comes across at the end? I think that was Jordan Bell, wasn't it? And that's what uh, I cracked up. What I, is so, that it is, dance it kinda, they do? What is that yeah. where you kick the leg and do the like? My ten year old does it like in the middle of football games. It, it's it's I, I don't know what it is, but it's really weird. Brian. Your t- you does your ten year old also do that dance where they put their arms between their body? Yeah, what is that? Go dance? back and forth yeah, where they swing them around. They look, the, yeah, the, the backpack kid dance. What is uh? What was Michael Wright's kids video? too cool for that? Do you remember uh? Like, what was it? The Heat. The Heat did it. You know what was it? It wasn't Gangnam Style. Oh, was it was the, uh, Harlem Shake. Harlem Shake. Yeah, yeah. I see. When those kind of like ran their course, but yeah. I mean that. You don't remember the Harlem Shake videos that everybody? No. Was yeah, I remember. Like that oh was like God. the big. P. We're Diddy about to blow. Back in the day. We're, we're about to blow Michael Wright's mind. Um, yeah, he was like, covering the NFL at the time. He might have missed it. Oh man, the Heat did like the best one. I mean, like LeBron gets like right in the face of the camera and he's oh. like, <laughs> making oh, they went face. all out. They the oh, entire right. locker room rented costumes for it. That this needs to become the the like the Fergie challenge or whatever you know, like and everybody well, like, starts doing it. The Fergie ch- <laughs> right. The, <laughs> the, the Warriors threw that together in a day, you know, or like you know, five this is how minutes, this is how they minutes. begin though. This is how those. Viral That's true. Moments begin. You're right. It's, it's a is, long season. It's in its, in, it's in its infancy stages. Right now, you need like somebody else to do this, and they kind of blow it up a little bit more. And then by the time it exactly. reaches the Laker locker room, it's going to be massive. I mean, they're going to have like it's going to be like a Hollywood production. They'll have Michael Bay <laughs> directing it in there, and it'll be huge. Well, that's what happened in the Harlem Shake. Was that like you know? And it wasn't didn't it wasn't uh, what was it like a year or two ago? The where everybody froze. You could tell my pop culture is so bad. 
<laughs> Where's the the mannequin planking? challenge? Was this planking? Oh no, no <laughs> planking was challenge. planking was during the lockout. I remember uh, Javale McGee planking in a uh, in a he went into a grocery store in the frozen food section and planked inside the freezer. <laughs> and I remember um, where do these things start? D- Dwight so Howard stupid. planking on the on the wing of his private jet. And I was like, you. Better be doing that after the flight, not before. I don't want you to weaken that <clears throat> wing. Um, no, yes, what was the mannequin, the mannequin challenge where everybody like freezes and stops and everything like that? Yeah, oh, somebody like walks around at the video. Yeah, my kid did that with my dog, and like, I like I got to post that video to Twitter at some point. Like, I'm I don't know how he got the dog to just freeze like that, but it was the craziest thing. Anything anyway, I'm sorry. Hit. So, so the so the Warriors could hatch this season's version of that with yeah. everybody doing the Fergie. Well, the Spurs, uh, you will never see the Spurs doing any kind of challenge except for the play basketball challenge. No, <laughs> no <laughs> tribute videos, but you can't you, no. tribute videos and no, no. You know, wouldn't wouldn't it be amazing though? Wouldn't it be just absolutely? Wouldn't the world melt if like Pop took part in something like that just one time? Pop was doing the just, backpack kid dance. Just one. It'd be hilarious. It'd be hilarious. But it, it would never happen. I know. Pop is I too know. cool for all that. I know. But he, he has those little spontaneous moments where he like he does something out of character. Like remember the before that where TV he was running? Game where he ch- yeah, he chased the camera yeah. or whatever. That was great. That was and funny. You, that was but, a good and moment. Pop is Pop is known to sneak a little gut punch on you every now and then too. Like you guys don't know it, but like you could be hanging out in the locker room just just chilling. And the next thing you know, you're getting punched in the gut by a pop. Like, literally a gut punch. Oh, like, literally, literally a gut punch. Yeah, he's sneaky that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not now. It's not hard or anything. It's you know, it's an affectionate love tap type of thing. But <laughs> it happens from time to time. Uh, all right. Well, this has been very enjoyable. We should cut out all the calf stuff and just only have this stuff in the pod. You- all right. I'm sorry. Uh, Maybe we should just cut out the whole Jersey thing because I don't need any flack from the Thunder. I just don't need it. I already heard it. I bitched about it two years ago. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm sorry. Thank you to Royce Young. Thank you to Michael C. Wright. Thank you to Andrew Hahn. Thank you to producer Anthony. We'll talk to you later in the week. Thanks for listening to Hoop Collective. Mm-hmm.